This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to Inside Marketing. Over the last couple of weeks, we've covered very specific topics and we've included one on COVID-19 and the implication for brands. And this week, we're going to change pace a little and we're going to have a chat with Lara O'Reilly, who is senior correspondent at DigiDay. We're going to chat about a couple of trends that the industry is facing. And although we did one on COVID-19 a couple of weeks ago, it does seem strange to talk about trends on a marketing podcast and not actually talk about COVID-19. And that's because things are changing so quickly. Things change so much that we don't really know the full impact. So I think firstly, I want to welcome Lara. Welcome. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Yeah, good. It's getting used to to broadcasting in social isolation, but it is as strange as it, as it always has been. Nonetheless, it's not getting any less strange and it's it kind of weird outside, but everyone's safe. Everyone's healthy and that's good. How are you? Everyone safe and sound? Yes, as far as I know. Yeah, so doing well, all things considered. Excellent. Thanks for joining me today. So uh, I think we'll kick off there and just talk about, you know, it is quite challenging times because, as I mentioned, we, we just don't know the full impact. So let's kick off here. And um, how are things generally in the UK and specifically in marketing? Lara, what's the current sentiment and how? what's the consumer sentiment like and how are brands feeling and business feeling in, in London? Yes, I am based out of London, although um, I do work for DigiDay in the US. Um, as far as I know, in the UK, we're, we're a little bit behind where Ireland is. I mean, things generally are still somewhat fraught. We're still in a lockdown situation, though certainly not one of the strictest. You know, masks aren't mandatory, for example, mm-hmm. and people are still allowed out to exercise and buy essentials. You know, we've opened up field hospitals and they've been built, but so far only received a few patients. So that's a bit of good news on one hand, but we've obviously got a terrible situation in care homes. On the other hand, where there's been just thousands of deaths over the last couple of weeks. Um, but talking more about the economy and, and business, I think it's reflective of most places globally at the moment, whether you're kind of eight weeks into the lockdown and the quarantine situation or whether you're only six. I think people in general are now in that kind of malaise where I think at first everybody was in fight or flight and, you know, were pumped full of adrenaline and there was lots of stuff happening that was upending their life every single day and they were having to adapt to new things. And I think now with little kind of end in sight as to when things might certainly not spring back, but slowly start opening again. Mm. Um, I think a lot of people on that kind of adrenaline come down at the moment. I've heard a lot of people yeah. just being generally a, a bit kind of down in the dumps. And yeah. what that means is, you know, when you don't have a lot of visibility about what's going to happen in your life and what's going to happen in the economy, you know, spending stops ultimately. Yeah. I mean, advertising is always a, a good bellwether for how the economy is performing and whether you look at Ireland, whether you look at the UK, whether you look at the US, advertising spending has fallen off a cliff Mm. Um, and advertising usually kind of leads into a recession and it lags out of them. So um, it's going to be a really rocky ride for Mm. a long time, sadly. Yeah. And and at the start of it, I think one of the things we were thinking about from Dentsu and our business was, oh, we should do a piece of work about thought leadership on how brands should react and there was things on, I was busy and we didn't get it out in, in a day three or something like that. And then I'm glad I didn't because I was just inundated with reports and how brands should behave. And there's an, loads and loads of work done on that. But what a lot of the things I read, which again, somewhat, I, I think, and I've said this before about the danger is that we we don't come across as we're um, tone deaf to things that are going on and we're living in a micro bubble or an echo chamber of marketing because it's bigger and more severe than that. But there has been lots of talk about and articles written and on really, really well uh, documented and data-driven fact-based articles about how brands should react 
react in a recession. And it is difficult to know how to react yet because we're we're not quite in that that phase and, and full scale of the impact yet. But thinking about how brands should be reacting now, we chatted a little bit about this off air. What's your view on whether they should maintain spend at the moment? If clients were, if anyone was talking to you as a practitioner within the industry saying, what do we do? Do we go dark? Do we go heavy? Because all the evidence says spend while we're in recession and you'll be all the better for it when you come out of that. Or should we talk, create specific campaign messages and have specific COVID conversations at the moment? It's probably different for different categories, but what's your thoughts on that, on how brands should react and what they should do? I mean, there's a lot of self-preservation going on there when you know marketing practitioners or agencies, frankly, or even media owners talk about spending for a recession. There are some studies out there, but a lot of them have been, even if um, independently compiled, have, have ultimately been commissioned by people that are on the marketing side. There aren't any kind of hard and fast rules, and it differs by company by company and sector by sector. You know, clearly, if you're an airline, you're not advertising at the moment. You're doing as much as possible to preserve whatever cash reserves you have and stop your company going out of business. It makes no sense to advertise. Mm. And if you're the maker of hand soap and disinfectant, chances are you don't need to up the ante on your advertising, particularly if you're having fulfillment issues and demands outweighing supply. Mm-hmm. And then I guess you know, for a lot of companies, we're now into the say second month of reactionary planning to the, to this crisis. And what will probably have happened in the first stage was kind of that triage. So let's just pause what we're doing and just think, what do we do for the next? week what do we do for the next Mm -hmm. month and then we reassess that you know with most cfos anticipating there's going to be a global recession and likely a great depression as i say cash preservation was key so marketing often becomes the first budget to be cut uh, as media spends just a, a big expenditure but you know there are some examples of brands who have in previous recession maintained their level of spend or at least not dropped it altogether and The studies show, and as I say, with every caveat um, that I gave you before, that they did take advantage of a time when, say, their competitors decided to pull off. Um, It meant they increased their share of voice. Um, And ultimately, when they came out of the recession, they were a stronger brand for it. A great example of that is in the UK, Cadbury Dairy Milk. They had a famous gorilla ad in 2007, so a gorilla playing um, oh, I worked on it back then. It, I, I was working on it back then. So yeah, it's a campaign that's uh, close to my heart. And that was that that wasn't a fix. We didn't arrange this before. No. Um, <laughs> but but so they spent millions on on that and other brand campaigns. So there was another one featuring kind of two kids doing funny kind of dances with their their eyebrows um, and cut back on their the spend that they were putting towards promotions and discounting. And essentially, the result was that. Cadbury said um, the effort helped it bring back market share from Galaxy, which was its main competitor Mm. at the time. And Galaxy had been price cutting and doing promotional activity over that period. So it really depends. Obviously, if you are on zero revenue at the moment, it makes no sense to um, be spending money on advertising. Most most companies have obviously just had a huge sales hit. So they'll probably have to readjust marketing activity accordingly. Um, But I guess advertising for a recession does remind you your customers that you're here so you can build up that kind of trust in your brand and potential kind of purchase intent for a time when we do move out the crisis um you know and there's an argument that for companies in sectors like luxury and cars where there's a long sales cycle um you know the activity that you do now might might drive that purchase in a, in a year it doesn't mm. have to all be about just driving these immediate sales but you know Clearly, if you're a car company at the moment, you've got huge production issues and you're having to shut down your factories or completely change the way you manufacture things. So there's just a lot going on. Um, 
So it's really difficult to say you should be spending through a recession. It, it ultimately depends on what your business preservation yeah. first and sales preservation first and anything you can do to drive short-term sales is probably the priority at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And, and the crystal ball as to how long this is going to last, how things are going to change. So it's just, that's a, I know that's a bit of a cop-out answer, but it's just so difficult. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think um, the CFO is, I think when we chatted before, you're saying that the CFO is the, is the, the hero at the moment and definitely greater control of, of expenditure and cost and greater expectation on marketing being able to prove what it will deliver. Yeah, all puts pressure on, it, it is an easy thing to cut. I know that. Um, and whether it's right or it's wrong, it is. But also for me, and I, th- I think I said this when we were chatting, at the moment, I know certain clients just don't have the headspace because of this uncertainty that's going on. There's quite a lot of uncertainty in terms of clients at the moment, in terms of their jobs, um, their team, how big that would be, people being furloughed and, and temporary laid off. And actually just some departments just completely shut down and say not downsized, just shut down. So it is a tricky one. And that thing about, so I, I think this is what's different about this time versus say uh, the, the Great Depression or any, any Great Recessions or even the 12, 11 years ago recession that we had. We're not quite in the recession yet. We're in a period of severe um, economic crisis, as it were, but also health crisis. It's really serious. So like once we get over this health epidemic and the, the really important and you know critical phase that we're in, we can then enjoy a recession, but we're not quite at that stage yet. So I think that even work with media owners and things like that, there's a huge appetite. There's a lot of capacity for companies and media owners to be proactive. And there's some great things coming through. But I just think clients at the moment, a lot of them don't have the headspace. So I think we're, you know, we're, we're in. I welcome the phase when we're back in a recession, I think, because at least I'll know how to deal with that. I just, at the moment, it feels weird. So again, when you think about what brands should or could do, there's a number of different options. And you've probably seen and you probably know lots of different brands have taken lots of different strategies. Some gone completely dark, which makes sense. But some of the things that we've seen brands do, and it is a very fine line between being opportunistic and being genuinely helpful. So, you know, I won't name them, but there's been quite a lot of brands that have come out and changed their logo on social media. Is it genuinely promoting social good and social distancing, or is it opportunistic to kind of get a little bit of a fame on social media and a bit of clever social marketing? And that is quite a fine line because for many, it's jumping on the bandwagon, if you will, and, and there's been a backlash on that. What's your view on on those and other types of promotional activity that the brands have had, where they maybe haven't had proper skin in the game in terms of doing anything? They've just come out and done things for social currency, as it were. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that we didn't cover really was that there's, you know, there is just the question of is my ad that was appropriate when it was created and signed off in January really relevant for the the current times? Um, or is it kind of too jarring with the situation in the outside world and, and the products that I was advertising them really relevant now? And do I look like I'm taking advantage? So, yeah, I think in the early days, there were some examples of brands jumping on, particularly the social distancing bandwagon. So, yeah, the, the companies separating their logos on social media, but then you know, we find out that they're also furloughing great majorities of, of their employees. And did that really spark people to change behaviour? And I, th- I think the most important thing for a lot of brands was to, I mean, there's a lot of talk about purpose marketing. And but the most important thing in the first stages was to do right by your people, do, do right by your employees. Because yeah. um, people are going to remember how how companies reacted in the crisis, particularly those that screwed up and those that didn't you know, look after their employees or yeah. sought government loans but had millions of dollars of VC money in the bank or, or those that just looked as though they were profiteering um, mm. with 
different promotional stunts, people will remember that. Um, yeah. But also people people will remember those that that pivoted very quickly to being helpful. So the companies that, you know, use their manufacturing facility to make PPE or mm. hand sanitizer, and particularly those that didn't necessarily advertise the fact they were doing it. They, they just went and did it because it yeah. was the right thing to do. And even those that have just pivoted to offering helpful information about cooking and exercise and things that are related to the home and staying at home, it, as long as they are genuine and there was, you know, there's there's a genuine reason to be doing them and they're not overly promotional. I don't see harm in, in doing those things. I think the supermarkets have done quite a, a good yeah. job in promoting how they've adapted their stores to being uh, more safe for customers and what you know, wiping down the, the baskets and the trolleys um, with yeah. antibacterial wipes and you know all the social distancing and screens and, and you know certain hours of sh- for shopping for vulnerable people and key mm. workers I don't see a problem with that I think I think that's that's actually a really positive thing to be doing um, and it shows that they are there mm. and that's the other thing is I guess if you if you turn off completely during this particular time, people wonder what happened to you. I'd say at the moment is that, so after that first initial kind of shock where everybody paused and weren't really sure what to do, and there were one or two campaigns that referenced the crisis, but most things were just carrying on as kind of residual um, activity from before. I don't, I don't know if, if you've noticed this, but certain commercial breaks on TV, you're essentially seeing the same ad again yeah. and again but oh, from a yeah. different brand. So, And this has been pointed out in articles and in kind of YouTube parodies elsewhere, but it's like the tinkling soft piano music and yeah. the... Yeah, people chatting to their grandma on and, uh, Zoom or FaceTime. And empty and, streets and yeah, iconic yeah, landmarks yeah. that are empty. Yeah. yeah, the drone shot of the empty street. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, and all of these things, which, again, this, the sentiment is correct, but mm. I think there's, there is a danger of kind of overkill now. Yeah, I, I agree. I can't distinguish one from the other. I agree. And I think it's back to that point about if you're going to do it, you can't kind of dilly-dally on it and kind of procrastinate and say, well, we do it and you've got to get something out and you got to get it quick. It's like that, having a point of view and putting out a document and, you know, the first one is great, but then suddenly everyone has one. And I, th- I find the same with, with the ads. I think some of the ads I've seen, and, and it's the same as the UK, Bank of Ireland, a big bank here, they they put out an ad campaign saying that, we understand some people can't get into the banks. So if if you, you know, we're allowing other people to bank on your behalf. And I think those type of things are useful, informative. I like hearing from my financial institution that, you know, they're doing things, that things are okay. I don't have to worry about the banking system. We've had enough worry with banking systems here in the last 10 years. So I think brands coming out and reassuring me. I, I think Domino's did a good job. Um, it felt weird. I kind of laughed at it at the start when he says our drivers will be doing contactless deliveries and, you know, he'll come and he'll put the pizza at your doorstep and then he'll step away and he'll hide in the bushes and look at you until you collect it and you've paid him by card. <laughs> and I, I thought it was, at the time, I remember thinking, this is just, it's going mad. But like now, fast forward a couple of weeks and everyone was doing it and, and credit to them, they were first out to do that. So brands that, that come out and did things and, and you're right, all the retailers have done you know, even open up stores earlier and exclusively for, you know, older people. I think that's all great. Um, and healthcare professionals getting, skipping the queues and going in. So, but it is more, those things are more about how you behave and what you do as a brand. And then if you want to, you, you know, you got to tell people about it when it's in their interest, as opposed to, you know, doing something for the sake of earning some kudos on social media and shouting about it. I think you mentioned purpose marketing is one of the bugbears that I have. I think that quite often when, when the marketing department come up with lead the purpose, it doesn't really exists and there's too much marketing in it and not enough purpose so um yeah we we could be down a rabbit hole there but 
Uh, yeah, I do think, yeah, it's important. You mentioned this before. It's it's not really about marketing. Brands, how they, what they do in this time is going to be the thing that people remember for good or bad. And I'd like to hope that people remember the brands that actually did good things and support those brands and brands that were opportunistic and, you know, just didn't do the right thing, whether that's for staff or anybody else that there's a payback on that. So just to, to kind of step outside the immediate crisis a little bit, we'll take a, a slight bit of a segue. Well, not entirely, but one of the things and you know, there's an opportunity here. We chatted again off air and the Google's announcement to remove the use of third-party cookies by 2020 was, it was the, the biggest surprise that shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody at the time. And we, we were put on notice and there was plenty of time to adjust to that. But it seems that everybody and the industry is calling for um, a delay to that to, to kind of kick that announcement down the road because fairly they're saying we've an awful lot going on. There's a huge amount of impact to our business. So can we please just delay that? But how likely do you think that is to be delayed do you think it's an option or do you think it's wishful thinking? I think it's wishful thinking. Google said it's got no intention to alter its plans. You know, ultimately it's saying that this is a, you know, it's a user privacy and user security issue. So there's no real benefit to uh, kicking that particular can down the road. I mean, that said, they did caveat when they made the announcement in January that they would only begin to denigrate third-party cookies once the approaches have been developed to replace the cookie, have, mm-hmm. have addressed the needs of everybody, so users, publishers, advertisers, and also that they've mitigated any possibility of a workaround by bad actors. Right, and, yeah. Essentially. So in my mind... When I first read that, I felt like that left it open a little bit. Um, mm. So they did say within two years. So that's also, you know, essentially that's January 2022, I suppose. And, you know, Google has delayed rollouts of things before. Um, in, in fact, um, this, is, this is kind of very wonky and in the weeds, so I won't go into it. But in light of everything that was going on with COVID, they rolled back the enforcement of a new thing that was putting through around same-site cookie labelling. So basically, it was a it was an update that required website owners to explicitly label the cookies that could be used by other sites or other ad tech vendors. And, mm-hmm. and those that they hadn't labelled properly wouldn't work in the Chrome browser. And that was meant to start kind of slowly rolling out in February, which it did but extremely slowly, probably more right. slowly than people expected. And then once the coronavirus crisis really took hold around the world, they updated their plans and said, we're going to just slow this for now and mm. we'll pause it for now and we'll, we'll we'll come back a little bit later on once things have returned to some semblance of normality. So that's a bit of a segue, but yes, um, mm. they've kind of, they've, they've known about this. Uh, they, they've, they've done this before. They've, they have delayed things they before. Delayed. So I guess there's some hope so, for those in the industry that are already battling with their own issues, mm, let alone having to deal with this. Yeah, so the official line is no, keep cracking on and trying. You've got to be ready for that cookie-less world. But it would you wouldn't be surprised if it if it depends how long this goes on if it delays it slightly which um, I mean on the one hand we have to get used to life without the way we used to do things and it, it does feel that you know certainly for for a number of years that that the direction of travel we were talking about the you know wh- where a lot of it was nonsense and overhype or not 
the idea of one-to-one communications, however impractical they may be in terms of creative requirement, machine or human developed, the capability outstripped the need in quite often. And we, we got, as we tend to do in marketing, we, we got dazzled by ad tech and lost sight of the, the kind of human problem or the, the, the requirement that we had. So, but it was certainly, a, it was a nice story and it was one that lots of businesses and careers and fortunes have been built on. So do you think, like, how far away, and you know a lot about, maybe even looking at other markets, will we be ready for this? What will this post-cookie apocalypse world look like? Do you think we're, I mean, I know you don't know, but I mean, that, that some of the things are, it's going to be a completely two-speed digital economy. You'll have the logged in, the, the big guys who are the big guys, logged in users, and then the um, the authenticated web and the anonymous web, which is a bit like similar to the way things are at the moment. Um, so Google and Facebook will continue to thrive and they will, if anything, become more attractive. But the rest of the web is going to be rely on more context-based and, and potentially there could be... I'm trying to give... So for people like the Irish Times and, and small publishers in Ireland who are getting hammered by Google and Facebook, as is everybody, is there any light at the end of this tunnel for them, do you think? I actually think there is. I think this is not a bad thing for publishers because what kind of the open marketplace did and third-party cookies is... It denigrated... So context used to be the most important thing, right? If, I, if I'm an advertiser and I was advertising in a print newspaper, I want to be, if I, if I want my campaign to get in front of as many eyeballs as possible, I want to be in the best, most trusted newspaper, and I want to be as close to the front page as possible mm-hmm. um, because that's where I'm going to get all of my engagement. And then the industry kind of shifted towards this kind of audience-based buying model where it didn't matter if I got that user on the Irish Times homepage mm. or whether I got them on blog about rowing yeah. or whether I got them on... Google or Facebook, all of that, those kind of impressions, if, if you like, yeah, that, that all of that was treated as the same. Yeah, the there context no, didn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah, there was no particular value ascribed to where somebody was on the web. It just mattered that you got that person, and so actually, and and I think just it, that just became the status quo online. People just it, that's just how how the, the way the world worked. And I think actually, for publishers, you know, those that have loyal subscribers who tend to log in and view their content won't fare badly because they own that customer relationship. There's certainly going to be more, I think, direct deals um, between advertisers and agencies Mm. and and publishers and particularly groups of publishers. We're seeing lots more coalitions come together, particularly in Europe. We've got Ozone in the UK. There aren't so many in the US, but that's actually starting to change. And mm. I think actually the cookie thing kind of pushed people, pushed publishers there in that direction just to work better together. And yeah. so they can present their audiences to advertisers and say, not only do we have these these great audiences that we can verify because we have yeah. first party data about them because we've got their login details. Um, but what we we can also give you is that they are engaged in the content and if they're engaged in the content they're obviously more likely to mm-hmm. see the ads versus perhaps you know scrolling a million miles an hour for a, for a news feed so and that's not to say that any of this is easy yeah, um no, I... ultimately google wins every single time google, yeah <laughs> you know in the absence of third-party cookies um in chrome one alternative is for advertisers just to use google's data yeah, yeah uh, so, absolutely yeah you know it's not. It's not to say that, and and of, and it seems as though, although Google is working with the industry on this, ultimately Google's going to be the arbiter of what the alternatives are going to be and the, the things that go by the wayside. Yeah. And yeah, you know, who knows whether those will be 
good for publishers or yeah. good for ad tech companies or agencies. At this point, we don't really know. They haven't really said which ones they're, they're leaning towards. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I think uh, the Ozone Project in particular, I know there's been one in Portugal and a couple in Germany and things like that. I think they're really interesting. It's really clear. It's really easy and simple um, in theory for people to, you know, put down their arms and come together and um, join forces because that's the only way they can. And it's probably a lot more difficult in reality. I don't know how those publishers have come together and just that they're sworn enemies. Um, that's that's part of their culture. They are, they grow up, you are, and even in terms of like generations before, you tend to be a, an Irish independent man or an Irish Times man or an Irish, an RTE girl or, you know, Virgin Media girl. And those things are, you know, they're rivals um, beyond belief. So I think, I'd, I'd love to know how it worked and how everybody agreed a, a peace settlement and came to those tables, I'd say. But the good thing is the precedence is there has worked in other markets so yeah i think uh, you'd hope that there is i personally think a return to a return to context is a good thing because i always found it crazy that we say it doesn't matter where the impression is served as long as we serve it to that person. It's just nonsense because the context is really, really important. But in, in a bid to to drive down prices, to deliver value and, you know, show value to procurement, we've just became a race to the bottom. So I think that's good. In terms of the, the way we think about the potential rollout of that, do you think, how do you think brands will adapt? So the importance of first party data for brands, the data they own becomes more important. Um, I think that like, they're quite the industry will be disrupted. There'll be quite a few casualties of those intermediary ad tech vendors. I think we'll see quite a couple of them not survive this. I just don't know what their business model is. Or else maybe we, they will come back and reimagine a solution for the new world. But how do you think, when we think about agencies and brands, um, we've already talked about publishers, but agencies and brands, what do you think the opportunity is there or how the new world will look like for them? Well, I guess, so for agencies, they position themselves as being there to solve complicated problems for their clients. So actually when complicated problems arise, so be that trying to work out what you do with Amazon or previously it was when the rise of social or whatever, from a strategic perspective, this is an opportunity to offer more consulting type services. And you've noticed that you know, lots of agency groups have were very busy uh, a few years back buying data companies yeah. or or launching these kind of consulting division. Mm. And we can go into some of the, the reasons why they did that. But you know, ultimately, this gives them another offering for their clients. We can help you figure this out. Yeah. But for brands, it's, you know, it's complicated. They've worked off this model now for a while, mm. um, the, the cookie-based model. And so that, you know, that work that they did to build a lot of those databases and segmentation and all of those things, well, you know, ultimately that will have to change and it will mean, again, forging more direct relationships with media owners. Yeah. I mean, the tricky thing for, for brands will be how they, the, there's already a conundrum at the moment when it comes to, attribution and measurement anyway you know i could mm. i could have been looking at that bmw that i've wanted for 20 years and following all the ad campaigns and watching all, all formula one but google will claim it's the yeah. Last the click. time I clicked on that search ad for the, my nearest dealer that that drove that purchase. So, but that was already. I mean, not just Google. You know, any any ad tech company there's, would try to claim credit. So again, you know, th there's going to be a tricky thing around attribution and, and measurement. So oh, hopefully that gets worked out. But that that would be the main thing of ours an advertiser. I I would be looking at and I would be lobbying the the industry to be working on is is a solution for that first. Probably that above targeting. To be honest. Mm. I think, and I, I said it before, and that like we became obsessed with targeting, and and essentially we had shiny, very, very slick products and tools that allowed us to target people. But 
it was essentially targeting. We got two carried away with, with that. And actually, yeah, I mean, I think if I was following uh, earlier on in my career, I worried if I picked the wrong industry because of, uh, the agency model will be dead. Traditional publishers will be dead. The likes of local media owners will be dead. And still, so it to a certain degree, it seems the more things change, the more the, the root problems stay the same and how we connect brands with consumers. We are running out of time. I've really enjoyed that. But, but just before we go, I want to just chat to you about your background just for a little bit because you're a seasoned professional in terms of our, our industry. Um, so again, I really appreciate you taking the time out today. So do you want to just give us a bit of a background of what you did? What do you, you know, different roles, industries you've been in, client side or anything and how you ended up where you are today in, in Digiday as a senior correspondent? Sure. I mean, how far back? Oh, well, <laughs> you no, not too far back. So the kind of the bullet points, clickbait. <laughs> Um, so my first, after kind of graduating from university, well, funnily enough, actually, so I, I graduated just after the the last financial crisis. And so at that point, so I, I did a journalism degree at Kingston University. I I'd kind of always wanted to be a journalist ever since I was a kid. I'd be making my own newspapers about made up stories about people in the neighbourhood. Um, I only had a circulation of one, my mum, but, <laughs> you know, from, from small acorns to, to trees. Very, um, but there was, yeah, so, so in 2010, it was just after the financial crisis and most of the journalism jobs have been wiped out. Most of the graduate schemes at, at the nationals and at the um, broadcasters um, in the UK had just been obliterated or depleted. I did get an interview for one, um, I won't say where it was, um, at a national newspaper, but I found out that they were offering £10,000 a year um, in an annual salary, which, you know, like €11,000, yeah. which wow. for central London <laughs> in yeah. a recession. Um, you didn't take that, no? Yeah, the job went to a friend of the editor anyway, so oh, I really right. dodged that bullet. But yeah, my, my first staff job was at Marketing Week and I was covering the tech industry. So Marketing Week, so UK... Mm-hmm. trade title that covers the industry from oh yeah yeah we know well marketing director level point of view and it's a great title and um it's got a great editor there russell parsons and you know they they still do some brilliant stuff despite the fact that i'm no longer there <laughs> yeah. but then i left there um and i went to business insiders the u.s publication when they were just launching their their London office. So I was a, we were just a small team of six and I think they've got, they must have nearly a hundred people in the UK wow, now wow. and several hundred in, in the US. And again, I was covering advertising and it's another great title. It's really grown its advertising mm. coverage recently. And after that, I went to the Wall Street Journal and again, I was covering advertising and media and wrote the, the CMO Today newsletter. All of these have been based out of London actually. So right. there's, a, there's a trend of me. Impressive, um, impressive CV of titles there. <laughs> yeah then so then after that I had a bit of a break from reporting on advertising and produced a video show at Yahoo Finance which was all about influential businesswomen but the um I, you know it was fun shouting instructions down the the god mic in the the control room as I'm sure someone's doing to you right now um but <laughs> no I I I'm just doing this remotely from self-isolation I'm we're all plugged in remotely so I'm safe oh I see so you can you're free I'm you're free you're, you're, you're but yeah but for me like reporting was just always what I wanted to do and I I enjoy it so much so uh, last year I started talking with Brian Morrissey who's the editor-in-chief here and I think he's been a previous we had him on yeah we had him on in in, I think December we had him on yeah ah okay so yeah we're going for like one a quarter right yeah Um, absolutely so yeah so yeah we've just started talking about a potential role at DigiDay and uh, yeah here we are very good. And what got you into advertising journal? Like journalism, I agree. It's a profession. It's a calling. What what leaned you into advertising? What got you interested in that? 
so frankly, I mean, when I first started out, it was just about getting a foot in the door anywhere. Mm. And then what I found was I really enjoyed it because it just covers so much of the business world. And particularly with the rise of these ad funded tech companies and media companies, it was really handy having a, a knowledge of the advertising industry mm. because as particularly as Facebook and Google grew and then yeah, yeah. some of the others, having that kind of expert knowledge and knowing media buyers uh, and so on, it just it just came in handy and, and it turned mm. out that you were covering big business stories it wasn't just about covering christmas yeah. ad campaigns anymore it was about you know the fundamentals of, of business and mm. particularly now as i was saying earlier with with advertising being that kind of bellwether for the economy um it it just it means you touch so many different areas and yeah. you get to write about so many different businesses so i think that's one part of it it was a good choice um, so yeah Absurd it is as well. Like some parts are absurd, um, just like the annual like boondoggles and you know the pitch theatre and all those yeah. things. I find hilarious. Yeah. So um, hopefully they continue after this. Oh, but yeah, well. it's just yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting. It changes all the time. Yeah, and it's changed yeah. a lot in the in the ten years. And I think it's probably you're right. It's grown up. I think is the right thing for even when I started. It was quite a. I said it before. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Um, not fact based, not evidence based, and kind of highly creative and a bit of a, a bit of an art. And I think there's more of a blend of the art and science is much more business focused so okay well we are out of time so uh, i'm glad you made the choice and went into the area of journalism you did because i'm a big fan of your work i think you're a, a great contributor to our industry and always love to listen to you on podcast so thanks a million for coming on today and stay safe where can people oh, before we go where can people go and find out about anything you publish or do or where can they get some info so digiday.com so d-i-g-i-d-a-y.com um, I'm on Twitter at Lara Kiara Kiara with a K okay um, yeah just we're, we're putting out lots of stuff around all sorts of areas around this this particular topic cool. so uh, yeah keep reading yeah I'd urge listeners to check it out so thank you Lara O'Reilly thanks for joining me today and stay safe cheers Dave you stay safe too I will too and thanks to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions and to Kira and Andrea on sound we are off next week but we'll be back in two weeks time okay thanks see you bye bye this is inside marketing brought to you by Dentsu aegis network and irish times media solutions